Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people and real stories. A local podcast for local artists. Hello everyone. Welcome back to Afternoon Delight with myself, Jordy Delight. Happy Sunday! It's been such a lovely week and I'm so glad that we got to share a triple threat of um, guests. We had obviously the incredible drag king duo of Oasis, Beth and Cooper. We had Chaotic K. Scott um, yesterday. It was just such a great interview. I love K so much. She's absolutely incredible. And today we've got a special episode actually. We've not just got an amazing, talented dancer and um, workshop facilitator and, I guess, maybe now drag artist from the conversations we've been having. Um, We've not just got a fantastic performer, we've also got a special on non-binary identity in the community. And I think that's, as someone that actually identifies as non-binary, that's a very important conversation. My friend Mandy does a um, show called The Mandy Show. She's got a podcast version on Spotify and she's also on YouTube got the video. So it's like me being interviewed in drag being like, hey, it's me, how are you? Um, it's a bit like, she described it, it's a bit like a FaceTime situation, but um, we normally look a bit more trashy and it's absolutely true because right now I'm recording this um, for all of you. I'm not in a good uh, setup. You know, I've got my jammies on at bloody two in the afternoon. <laughs> Because uh, I decided to drink again last night, and Jesus Christ, I put this Instagram story that was so questionable, so I just took it down and was like, if you have to, um, you know, consider what you said and get the fear from it, it shouldn't be there, so, you know, I took it down, but, like, you know, I own my mistakes when I make them, there are rare and few mistakes, um, probably why I'm still single, as many of you know, <laughs> but enough about that. Um, one of the things I talked on Mandy's show about was being non-binary and identifying as a gender, and it's been such a lovely um, interview meeting this next artist and then discussing how they realised they were non-binary as well. But a lot of things that I don't have to go through um, that they do, do go through was the um, parts of the non-binary community that might be affected when it comes to things like endometriosis or menstruation because, unfortunately, healthcare physicians tend to still refer to gender based on sex, which is obviously not the same thing at all. And we know this. Um, and then if any of you are, you know, turfs listening to this, get the fuck off my podcast. <laughs> Didn't fucking listen to my stuff. Um, you're not welcome here. But this next artist is incredible. They've been managing so well. And one of the things I love learning about was the um, gender specification um, in dance and this is an interesting conversation because I haven't and you'll hear more about this in a minute but I haven't got much experience in dance so to find out that gender kind of stereotypes are still a thing well we do actually still in the arts have a long way to go but let's let this next artist tell you all about that it's the fantastic and amazing Alex McCrossan Welcome back to Afternoon Delight with myself, Jordy Delight. The Sunday bill is here. And by George, I'm so excited because I've had such a long and busy week and weekend. So I'll probably be no doubt wine hungover when I'm posting this. 
I've got an absolute multi-talented artist joining me who interviewed me for their own work and it's only right to get them on talking about their craft and how fabulous they are. It is of course the amazing artist, dancer. Overall, I can't even describe them without saying what a composition they are in a way. Alex McCrossin. How are you doing? That's a name. I'm all right. That's a name that never leaves you, Alex McCross. And, you know, uh, how do you get a better stage name than that? My God, might as well be wearing like a wee Jimmy wig and a kilt. <laughs> I love that you said it because I was thinking that is such a Scottish name. Like, Alex McCross, are you here? Yes, here. <laughs> like, all the consonants, like consonants for days. <laughs> drag name, like consonant for days. <laughs> By the way, TMTM, TM, Jordan Delight. Bag <laughs> child again, fuck. <laughs> I'll eat my words one day. Right, you are obviously incredible. We've already met and chatted before, but for my listeners who maybe don't know about yourself, could you please introduce yourself for me? I can get a good bash, I. So, hello, listeners. I'm Alex McCrossan. And, yeah, I'm a dancer primarily, but I've done lots of different cabaret work. I've done a lot of teaching work, dance films, uh, some kind of physical theatre. You can say that without sounding like a bit of a wanker. Am I I allowed to say wanker? You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Done in my kind of podcast, yeah. Uh, And, yeah, I've worked mainly in Scotland. Uh, Some of my projects have taken me across various ponds, the various sizes, but uh, I, I like my Greg's. And I like my local Tesco, so I'm, I'm Scotland-bound and Scotland-based for the most part. <laughs> Clearly a stand-up comedian in the making, if you've never that before. You're hilarious, naturally. I love that. I, do you know what? It's one thing I do miss is Greg's. I'm now, uh, I don't eat meat now, but I love a vegan sausage roll. Banging. By the way, oh my God. The first, right, small aside, I was desperate to have the sausage roll and all the meat eaters were like, I want to try it and see what it's like. And I was like, you bastards, you've got everything you want in Greg's. Like, can you let me have the one thing, you know? And it was six months and it was April and I was on tour in Dumfries and I walked in and there was two left and I said, Barbara, I'm having beef for them, geez. And they were freezing cold, practically chipping icicles off of them and it was the best meal I've ever had in my life. Wow. I love that. There goes my what would your last meal be, if you know what question. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, it's so interesting because for me, my mother um, eats meat all the time. Like, uh, yeah, we've got a, a sort of a meat eater family, but I, it was six months ago, God, September, I stopped eating meat. Um, I had a radical change in August where I was like, right, I need to change my whole life. I need to go to therapy. I need to take antidepressants. I'm going to stop eating meat. I'm going to vote green. Like it just, it snowballed. And I'm still happy that I do it. But I, uh, years ago, was when the vegan sausage roll came out, I said to my mum, she'd got us them. And I tried it. She actually had got us them. And she was like, I've got these to try them. I went, why not? Because I'm always happy to try a meat, meat alternative. And she was like, these actually taste all right. By the way, I could see myself getting them all the time. So now, anytime she wants a sausage roll, she just gets the like plant-based one, which I think is absolutely great. Totally. And Iceland do a banging set of them. Nay porkies, they're called. And they're lovely. <laughs> in Iceland <laughs> I feel like I'm the Ken Katona of drag right now <laughs> that's why Johnny goes to Iceland oh amazing oh so you, this is gonna be such a wild and fun interview and are you not a Sagittarius as well I am indeed a Sagittarius rising and sun and moon so I'm like oh I'm all free I'm on fire 
because that's you're on fire. So is your hair. No one can see what your hair is gorgeous, orange color. It's beautiful. It's so funny just because that's such a lovely natural cosmic connection that the last guest before you, um, Kay Chaotic Scott, is also Sagittarius. And the big arc for her interview was that. So I guess we're going to have to cut it there with the Sagittarius chat. <laughs> I suppose so, right? That's it. Triple threat, Sag, God, you'll just, you can never get pinned down then. Miley Cyrus to the extreme. <laughs> never, never. But my Neptune's in Capricorn, so there you are. <laughs> so is mine, actually. So that's interesting. Brilliant. Go. Before you decided to, you know, go into cabaret and performing work and dancing, you know, where did you grow up and study and work as a teenager or just live your life? I, well, I lived my life in a small town outside of Glasgow in Lanarkshire called Lanark. And people always know where New Lanark is and they don't know where Lanark is, but New Lanark is in Lanark. So, however that works. And it's like, we're quite close to Glasgow, but nobody knows where Lanark is. So you just kind of say Glasgow, do you know what I mean? If you're in Spain or something, oh, Glasgow, I've heard of that. Um, and I was here my whole life until two years ago. Uh, my mom's for Glasgow, my dad's for Lanarkshire, so we're a total central West of Scotland family. Um, I don't do all of that, Rangers and Celtic. I am just Switzerland neutral because green or blue, neither's my colour. So I'm like, no, you're all right, I'll stick with orange, thanks. Uh, and yeah, I, I moved, we stayed in the town of Lanark, but we moved about a lot. We moved like five or six, five or six different times um, for kind of various reasons. Um, my uh, uh, my gran came to live with us for a while um, and that was a kind of quite a major turning point for my life was when my papa died. Oh, Jesus, I'm starting off straight away with the emotions. But that really was where, you know, my papa was always, you know, light at the party, you know, loved the dance, loved the chat, loved the baby. That definitely didn't fall far from the tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was when he died, I really thought, right, I, I, up until then, I was eight and I was like, I'm just kind of buggering a bit. Like, I'm not actually doing anything. I'm kind of, you know, going to football a bit. I'm just kind of, you know, playing with the dog in the back garden. I'm not actually doing anything. So when he passed, I was like, right, Alex, finger out. Let's go and, and do something. And I just kind of ended up falling into performing because one of my pals wanted to go to a dance class. And she was like, moan with me. And I said, dancing? I'm no damn girly shite like dancing. What are you talking about? You know, patriarchy ran deep, um, unfortunately. Uh, and, but then I went and I was like, oh, I quite like it. Oh, no, what a day. So I just then kind of, it was, it was then for an older kind of community entertainment kind of amateur dramatics type thing. And then they approached us during this class and they were like, listen, do you want to come and be a dancer in my show? And I was like, who, me? The one sitting here in my dad's Nike T-shirt for 1984 in jeans for a ballet class. Are you joking? But then I went and did it and everyone was much older. They were like kind of 17, 18 and I was only 13. And I was like, oh, I really like this kind of camaraderie. And I realised that that was kind of just what I wanted to do. Because uh, everyone was so different. There were so many different styles. Everyone had a different way of coming at things. And I thought, you know, no shade to any any other career. Every career is important and valid. That's why it's there. But I just knew that that was the career for me. That's what I had to do. So I then just started doing wee odd jobs to try and save up for, like, dance college because I didn't know kind of where I wanted to go. And my first ever job was, like, proper job, like, not, like, walking dogs and stuff, was in Fred Perry in Livingston, 
when I was about 15, 16. So I was like, yeah, but and again, you know, that was like a 40 minute drive from my house. But I was like, I don't want to just do the, the, the kind of smaller jobs around about the town I've been doing. I want to go next step. Let's go for the next thing. Um, and just being difficult. And I was like, Dad, you're going to need to give me a lift every Sunday. Sorry, darling. And then, yeah, and, and then I chose I chose to stay in Scotland because, you know, there's like a couple of uh, members of my family have got some health issues and I was like I don't want to be too far away from home and I've always been of the belief that people say that you know Scotland's performance scene back in the day back in like 2012 folks said Scottish performance scene is shite and there's no jobs and there's no career and I was like but if everyone's leaving to go to London and New York and that then it's not getting any better so sometimes the talent's got to stay here and help cultivate better opportunities for the young'uns coming up so I studied at Glasgow Kelvin College in Mary Hill and Easter House and loved that. Went to Edinburgh and did my degree in dance and then ever since just been cutting a boot, doing all sorts of dancing, mainly live performance, but a bit teaching on the sides. And that has just been my career ever since, is dancer, performer, anybody who'll have me, really. Anyone who'll have you, I love that. It's so interesting because... I know, obviously, a joke and say, okay, Chaotic Scots mentioned me in Sagittarius, but one of the things with her job was that she's a travel blogger and all she does is love to travel, so the pandemic really fucked that one up. And it's interesting hearing that you were like, you know, the moment you got one, your first job, it was going to be in Livingston, not in your city, and you you were like, well, I want to be out there, not surprised, the Sagittarius, and you, a triple threat one as well, is not like when I want to do this this weekend and I want to be this this Sunday night and how am I going to get in four hours there? Like, that's a wild chaotic energy, but I love it so much because it makes you you. And it's so interesting because a lot of people listening wouldn't know this about myself because I've never had the chance to talk about this. So thank you for bringing this conversation. But the first thing I did that was arts related was dance. And I'm not a dancer now in any fucking way. I feel like if I got on something like the X Factor or even just did a show I could have a choreographer show me and I could be like Brittany I could be like okay I'll go here I'll go here I'll do this lip sync with my wee little fucking side mic <laughs> and if anyone asks it's my CF <laughs> but it's so um, interesting because my first ever exploration in the arts was I was about seven and a half so my dad was still in alive but they had got Billy Elliot from for what a throwback this is Blockbuster Blockbuster and my dad knew bless him I think he clearly knew that, you know, I would somehow, I was very much as a child, very, I was introverted, which is so ironic. I was such an introvert um, around school people and children. And even in adult situations, I was very quiet and shy and awkward, um, which is so ironic because now I'm the huge extrovert I am. But that doesn't surprise a lot of people. And in terms of the dancing, I think he knew that when I would talk about movies and Disney movies, constant Disney kid, obviously, surprise, surprise, um, I would dance about watching it so I just looked at the screen but I would dance about pretending I was let's face it the princesses obviously and uh, I just remember he brought Billy Elliot and was like we're gonna watch this and we also had quite a political family so of course Billy Elliot's undertones is Thatcher and the minor strike and they took from that that I took from it the dancing and I saw this young boy and I thought back then let's face it, it you know myself being a cis young male at the time there was such a thing about men doing ballet and I remember in school in my primary school there was a poster just after I'd seen the movie 
and it said, oh, you can do it, Billy, go for it. And it was a campaign that was like encouraging all sexes to do dance. So I did that first and then it was, I got bullied really badly by um, the kids in my street that I used to hang about with for doing ballet. I think I did it like six months and I got bullied so badly and I went, oh, well, I don't want to do it anymore because at that point, you know, you're so introverted as a child, you want everyone to like you. And uh, my mum was so upset and tried her hardest to make me do it because my teacher was like, oh, you have potential. And they were like, she was like, Jordan has potential to do this. Um, and my mom was like, well, they don't want to do it. They just don't want to do it. And I do often sometimes go, oh, I wish I had maybe done that. But then I think to myself, well, actually, if I hadn't done dance, I probably wouldn't have then went, well, it's not dance, so what I do, but what else can I do? And then at school, at school, it was music and a little bit of drama. And then it was drama at uni. And now it's kind of came full circle that I'm a drag queen. So... I don't think that nothing I'd stopped myself from doing wasn't part of my journey, if that makes sense. But it's lovely because interviewing you, I've never spoken about that on the podcast. So that's been a lovely touching moment. Um, so, you know, after obviously you studied and you like, pursued this, you know, um, what kind of got you into dance? Like, obviously, I know that you've mentioned how it happened, but what for you is what makes you passionate about dancing? Well, first of all, I'd like to say for any youngins listening, Blockbuster was what we had today before Netflix. <laughs> so you used to get in the motor where you, where you, for me, it was my father, and we would go and he would go, right, you get one video for the two days at the weekend. And you watch, and I had to watch it from start to beginning, from what? Beginning to end, and then rewind it and then hand it back. That's what we had today. So any of day who is after 2000, just be thankful that we have Amazon Prime now. So, but what made me, <laughs> well, this is kind of what made me, not so much, because what made me get into dance was just going with my pal because she didn't want to be by herself at this class. But what made me stay in dance was the, for me, the versatility of it. I really love to merge dance with acting, with comedy, with music, with silence. Like it's, it's, how can we take it beyond just sticking on a song and dancing about it? Absolutely love doing that as well. Don't get me wrong. Nicki Minaj, Starships, I'm, I'm up and you're not getting me down to the tables. But what else can we do? Can we go deeper into that? Taking things from big, we call it kind of it shape or caper where I work now. There's something that we do that's like big dancing and then little dancing. So big dancing is flinging yourself about the floor and all that. But then little dancing would be like just doing something with your hands on a table or just doing like something with your face, like just your facial features. Like, can you move your eyes in a position? Can you move your mouth? And I think it's it's just, it sounds a wee bit cliche, but it is just the kind of the, the never ending sort of possibilities and the ability to layer dance on top of lots of things. You can be Britney dancing and singing. Uh, you can be a drag artist lip syncing with comedy and dancing as well. You can really act through dance you know for, for me dance is just acting but no really saying anything and uh, when you're acting I suppose you're wanting to it's all that thing about wanting to act for the back row but for me it's the same with dance you know you got you got to dance for the back row and you've got to whatever that emotion is it's no always like looking out into the distance you know like that kind of stuff it's it's what else can I do and can and can I can we make people feel a different way other than just happy and sad. What are the other emotions that we can make people feel in the moment? That's what makes me. And also, the um, there's a there's a piece of work that Shaper Caper does, which I dance in called the Unwanted, and it's a whole piece of dance based around the artistic director Tommy Small's kind of life and career. But 
it's mainly about rejection as an artist putting in funds and applications you get nothing back you know like they're spending all this time and money and energy and an idea and then you get nothing and it's it's just all kind of based around that and it's a kind of parody on that and one minute we're doing this like parody of Vogue where it's um, like a contemporary dance version of Vogue and all that. And it's like, come on, curve. And they're doing all that stuff. It's just nonsense. But then like two minutes later in the piece, uh, it's representing something really tumultuous that happened in Tommy's life. And we're like on this ship and then the ship starts going down and Tommy's the captain of the ship and I have to jump ship. And I start like shouting and swearing at him and throwing things at him to just and then just leave him to sink. And this is like in the space of like five minutes within a show. And for me, that's something that the arts in general does. But it's something that I think when you tell it through dance, when you can't say, OK, so now scene one, Tommy is on a ship and now he's sinking. You know, you need to just kind of explain it through movement. And I think there's something quite difficult, but rather beautiful about that. I think you beautifully put that. That was honestly such a lovely and liberating kind of way to suggest it, actually. It was it was really lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so sure I said this to you and I met you a while ago that I'd recognised it. And I'm pretty sure that you used to do sort of what I would, I in theatre would describe it as invisible theatre or sort of, um, you know, um, when there's people in the street and they randomly all jump in and people are a bit like, what is, what's the name for that? You'll know. Uh, it's not like a mosh pit. I'm talking shite. It's like a nightclub. But- oh, like a flash mob. Ash like that. Mob. That's it. And I often would describe the dancer in Bohemia used to be quite like that. And did you not used to be a dancer in Bohemia? I was, yeah, I was from the first year that Bohemia opened uh, in Edinburgh, right up until the pandemic. Unfortunately, we've kind of been made redundant, for want of a better word, hopefully, like, with hopes to return. But yeah, we would take, so anyone who's not sure what Bohemia is, it's, it's kind of like a cabaret style venue, but it's more of a sort of just general entertainment party fiasco uh with like live music and characters and all this stuff and we would have sort of themes every night so it might be apocalypse it might be alice in wonderland it might be uh lgbti icons of the 80s or something else and we would all just have this different character and create performances around it and i mean it was drag it was just drag like again regardless of the gender we were all in 15 million pairs of fake eyelashes and platforms we could break our neck in and yeah it was it would just be a kind of normal party night and then all of a sudden you know fucking monster mash would come on or you know flash dance or something and and we would have these pretty I mean I'd like to think they're pretty sick routines just kind of blasting out on the tables were also stages and yeah that was a that was a brilliant place to kind of and again I think that as well with dance another reason that I get really passionate about it is the spontaneity even when it goes wrong like find something in that you know you can find something in every performance you do that didn't you maybe go to plan or didn't quite go how you thought you were going to but sometimes it works out even better and then you're like fuck it I'm going to do that every time that's exactly and, what I'm after and it's it's so brilliant that you say that because I often say that it's like the method of play in theatre that is say you know play explore um, and spontaneity and improvisation you know think on your feet that the amount of times I remember my first ever show we used to do if there was something that no one knew that I fucked up like, it was such a, my friend who was a production manager in the audience kind of looked at me, and I can't remember what it was now because I was so, like, on the anxiety and the um, the adrenaline. I was like, oh, God, what did I do? What did I do? I think I had, like, maybe I tripped when I was picking the puppet up, but the way I did it was I tripped, and then I made it look like I fell over the box the puppet was in. And then everyone was like, oh, ho, ho, and I was like, what's that box? I didn't see that there, and then I opened it, 
because I was meant to just put this box down, blah, blah, blah. But the way it tripped, I just thought, we'll just be like, well, what's that box? I didn't realize it was there. Oh my God, there's a puppet. Oh my God, it's the evil Georgie. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, and it's those situations that I think everyone laughed. I just remember a friend being like, fuck, are they all right? Because they fell over. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's so interesting hearing you say all that. And it's obviously Blaze, who obviously used to do a lot of performances at Bohemia and do a lot of the choreo, like taught me how to do makeup, which is so cool. So it's it's nice to have this connection. Yeah, it's so brilliant. So in the lead up to the pandemic, and then we'll get into the pandemic in a more like in the lead up, you know, what kind of projects and stuff were you doing? So amazingly with Shaper Caper, so it's a dance company based in Dundee. We're also a charity and we do lots of community work for like kind of providing free workshops to families of uh, lower incomes, doing work in areas of multiple deprivation and do, doing a lot of this kind of funded, funded projects and stuff. Um, and recently as well, a big thing we've been doing is looking into LGBTQ plus work. So we were making... We made a dance film um, called Them, which was about using bathrooms as a trans and or non-binary person. And then as we were doing that, we thought, oh, actually, um, there's a bigger narrative here. And then we started reading articles and blogs and having conversations with people about menstruation as a trans and or non-binary person and the dysphoria that comes with either having a period if you're non-binary or a trans man but also for a lot of trans women that don't get periods that can also be quite dysphoric because a lot of people place such heavy importance on having something red coming out of you once a month or however often um and then we thought that was actually a much bigger narrative because even for cis women and cis girls periods are still something that's like you can't talk about it just shut up away in the bathroom don't tell anybody go and live in the shed for seven days and come back out when when you're all done and we're just like there's no place for that because it's it's not very nice but it's normal so let's have a talk about it so then we made this film uh on the beach uh called period but it was like full stops it was like period and uh it was all about the kind of waves we thought the kind of motion of the waves being natural but very destructive was quite a similar kind of uh Oh, I'm getting off a deep in Jesus, oh. at eight o'clock on a, on a Thursday evening. <laughs> Keep talking, I love you it. Know it? Right, so. This shit, so yeah. <laughs> so we thought that was really, so then I'd created a bit of a spoken word based around the sort of things that you hear when you're kind of, you know, that young age of like, oh, you're going to become a woman soon and all this nonsense. And then the kind of the, the physical pain with the mental pain and just, but at the same time, the story's different for every non-binary person, every trans person. It's so varied. So it was trying to capture so many avenues all in the one. And we thought that the wave imagery was quite a good way of doing that. And then the we did them both then together in a little piece for Dance Live, which was like a, a kind of online kind of digital festival up in Aberdeen. And we were looking more into creating a larger LGBTQ plus piece for young people aged kind of teenage called No Offence that was kind of using dance work to bring these issues to light as well as other touring work that we did and then that was when the pandemic hit but amazingly thanks to funding that we managed to get that didn't stop us we started then doing other kind of outreach work for LGBTQ plus people that was when we started doing an out crowd which was when I interviewed the lovely Geordie and we just started making connections with other queer artists and queer people and queer charities around Scotland it was just like come on talk about your work talk about what you do and just give people 
who are maybe in an unsupportive household have maybe been forced back into the closet, just something they can watch on Facebook Live inconspicuously. You know, it's not in front of the telly, in front of everybody, just to kind of have a bit of a laugh and also see the stories that they'd want to be told. So that's what we've really been kind of focused on before the pandemic and continued to not let that drop. Because the worry is that at the moment, queer people are going to fall through a gap and no one wants that to happen because it happens too often. So, aye. That's been a big thing for us. And when you say fall through a gap, could you explain what you mean? Just because I know what you mean, but my listeners might go, what do you mean? Gaps. So sure. Hear what you say. Sure. Well, for me, it's 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 all of the gaps. Trans non-binary healthcare. My GP still does not use my pronouns. I tell them at least four or five times every single time, every appointment. We're talking mental health care. We're talking... People that have then, again, been forced back into the closet. Um, Unfortunately, I saw last week uh, there was a 15-year-old boy who took his own life down in Leeds um, because it was just, you know, it's like, again, sorry to bring the podcast a crash and halt here, but it's just, it's it's in every space. It's it's constantly when there's this, uh, we're bringing LGBT plus issues into curriculums in Scotland, which is amazing and fantastic, but it's unbelievable the amount of pushback and the amount of complaints that are still being had about this. And it's like, what does that say to the young kids? You know, and it's just, it's the whole thing about getting it right for every child. Well, then you've got to include every child in that. You've got to make sure that the kids from marginalised communities, marginalised backgrounds, they're not getting left behind. Um, So for me, yes, falling through the gaps for me, it's like, don't get forgotten about and there's lots of issues surrounding young people and young adults and sexuality and gender identity is a whole kettle of fish that's difficult for everyone to come to terms with. But especially at the moment, it's something that I don't really think's talked about because there seems to be much more important things to be talked about right now. But that's something that's got to maintain in the in the conversation, me thinks. Wow, honestly, and never apologise for deep conversation. I don't think... I think 99% of this podcast from season one right until now um, has been like deep conversation and then a few like gags and funny jokes in between. Like everyone that's came on has had a raw, beautiful story. And uh, you're being so informative when you say this, because for me, there is such a difficulty with pronouns. Um, I'd went to hospital yesterday and uh, I got great news that I'm keeping so well and they're actually halving on my treatment plan now because the new CF medication is doing as well. But the amount of times... I was getting he, and then they would go, oh, well, she, because drag, and I'm like, it's they, them, and they'd be like, oh, yes, sorry, what we like, but, I mean, the only thing I see on that side is they've known me for so long now that it's second nature. My mum sometimes does it, but my mum corrects herself, and that's the only thing I feel like, for my experiences, is I have more time for people that do it and go, fuck, sorry, and just correct themselves. The people that shrug and just kind of go oh yeah well it's like well no my identity is not a discussion so don't shrug your shoulders um, and I totally empathize with you especially with the sort of medical pr- practitioners that just do stuff like that um, you know it, it's it's difficult but at the same point it's not really that's the way I look at it. you know yeah it's difficult that they're used to something but you know it, it doesn't take much to correct yourself and it's just an ego thing unfortunately and I hate it and you Talking about this menstruation stuff so interesting because on season one of Afternoon Delight, I had um, my friend Katrina Kalkini who talked about polycystic ovarian syndrome. And she wouldn't mind me sharing this, but when we started the interview, she'd said women and she automatically went, right, no, can we actually start again? I want to do the whole thing again. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, people, 
that menstruate, I know this. And I was like, no, no, it's, it's fine. But she straight away was like, no, I know this. Why did I say that? Let's start again. And we started the whole thing again. And it was so helpful. But that's the interesting thing that we forget, don't we, that, you know, menstruation does affect all kinds of people, not just women. I remember actually when the SNP had announced they were getting the free sanitary products. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. But the campaign ad was all women will now benefit. And I thought, well, it isn't all women because trans women don't benefit and non-binary and trans men. So I quote tweeted being like, and what about the trans men and non-binary people that go through this? And then mm-hmm. every, and you, the amount of people that I got harassing me underneath like, oh, don't be such a fucking woke. And I was like, I'm not being woke. It's called being inclusive. No. Like, it's just completely conversations that need to happen. So I'm really glad um, that you kind of shared that naturally, which brings me on to my, my next question really for you is, you know, you yourself are like me and you identify non-binary and you use the, they, them pronouns. I'm correct. I'm not like myself. Yes. Yep, that's it. I would love for you because we have a lot of queer listeners um, from the sort of LGBT plus community listening to the podcast. I would love for you to share your story about you sort of realizing you were non-binary and what that's felt like for you. Totally. Well, hello to all queers and allies listening, my ladies and gentle dems, as I as I often like to say. Um, yeah, I think like for me, periods are such a, unfortunately, sorry if anybody's uh, a bit squeamish, I am too. So like, I, I'm right there with you. I might be glide doom with my legs up if I keep talking about it. But um, it is such a, unfortunately, for anyone who has a period, it's such a huge part of your identity. And unfortunately, I'm right there alongside the kind of PCOS and endometriosis stuff. I'm still, you know, same with everything at the moment, awaiting test results, tests getting pushed back and all this stuff. And you're just, it's always on your mind constantly. And that can be quite draining. Um, No pun intended. But (laughs) it's like kind of just always there because it's like, right, the week before you feel like shit, the week during you feel like shit, the week after you feel like shit. So there's like a week at the month. It's like, right, okay, I'm in my oats. Let's go dancing. And that's, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, people are only understanding up to a certain point. And I think as well, I developed very late and I didn't actually start my period until I was like 16. Um, and what always, I always said kind of people who menstruate even before realizing my non-binary identity was, and it's because my auntie started her period when she was eight. And I wouldn't say she was a woman, you know, at that point, like it's a girl, like, and there was a lot of kids in my primary school that started periods like when they were eight nine ten years old and to me that's not a woman you know that's not like I think that's so I think it benefits and then of course with that as well my uh, my mum and my gran um both had to have a hysterectomy but does that mean they're not women you know what I mean so it's all it's 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 all this it benefits cis people as much as it benefits trans and non-binary people to just keep it neutral because femininity and masculinity it doesn't define you if you have a period or you don't it's like it's just it's just not the case and that's something I came to learn with my with my kind of non-binary identity um in that I always felt other than I always felt like the other the other and I was so concerned with not being perceived as a girl so, like constantly I was like dressing my dad's t-shirts um whenever I would meet somebody new I'd drop my voice like all right all right I'm Alex all right like just I was just so conscious about people who didn't know me thinking that I was too girly uh it was just but then at the same time feeling a lot of shame for not being girly and all all that stuff that you know even Freud couldn't work it and um I remember talking to my friend when I was in like 40 at high school and they were talking about boobs and they were just talking about it very naturally 
And I was like, well, I don't feel like they're mine. I feel like I'm holding them for a friend. And then my pals like laughed and I was like, ha ha ha. And then I was like, no, but actually though, that is how it feels. It doesn't feel like it's part of my body. Um, and weirdly, you know, and then we, I remember again, high school, we were talking one day about, would you rather, like if you had to, would you rather be caught in public with your pants down or your top off? And everyone said top off. And I was like, oh no, no, pants down, pants down totally. And everyone was like, Alex, you're a weirdo. I was like, I can. I was like, what am I like? But I was like, no, completely. Because for me, it was the, it was the, the kind of the top half. That's what defined whether you were a woman or not at the time when I was like 15. And it was, and then it just became, I then became like obsessed with like trying to make my chest as flat as possible, like proper, you know, everyone at that age is padding their bras. And I was walking in with like massive shirts and like hunching over like this. So that was great when I started dancing because you immediately lose your tits anyway because <laughs> they are the pec muscles. Um, but yeah, it was, and it was, just, it caused a lot of, turmoil in, in my head but without realizing it I just was like I don't feel like this is my body I feel like I'm like just, and I just thought oh it's just dissociation like you know it's just anxiety it's whatever else but then it was only when I was kind of confronted with actually and it was one day I was like am I trans and then I thought well if I was born a boy would I still feel this way and I was like yeah I think I would but I have to be one or the other and it was only really through like social media probably that I'd kind of managed to find, it was actually other drag artists that I followed just from like different countries and they were like, you know, they, them pronouns in their bio. And this was like, you know, years ago, this was like five or six years ago. I was like, what's they, them? What's that? I didn't know you could do that. And I just started like reading through their posts and being like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. Yes. You know, so it was actually, that's why, you know, drag has always had such a special place in my heart. Right from when I was wee, I used to watch Lily Savage, Dane Edna, um, you know, you sit and watch Divine films. That was that was totally my, my jam, my custard and my marmalade. And it was actually drag that drag artists that were like, fuck it, do what you want. Doesn't matter. You know, and some wee troll on Twitter can't tell you who you are. Only you can do that. And it's just like some people fight to have the label and some people fight to not have it. And both fights are important. And that's kind of just how I, how I arrive at being what I am I'm so fluid I'm just a glass of water that's pretty much it like you know just that's it honestly <laughs> beautiful um because for me it's so interesting you say this because one of my things um that I've picked up on there when you mentioned this sort of reveal and the t-shirt equated to being a woman was I remember the screen queens with Rue Jazzle and CJ Banks in Glasgow on their podcast and it was we we're talking about the she's the man infamous moment where they say, well, remove your T-shirt if you're a woman. And then she does it and everyone goes, oh, are those real? And it, and that was a moment when we were younger, about 2008, nine that came out, I think, that, you know, you went, oh, there's the moment that they know the gender. And and and, and we're not like that now. We've progressed so far beyond shit like that, I feel. But back then, you know, I wouldn't question that. I'd have been like, oh, yes, well, that's what that must be. Like, you know, that's just me. I'm only like 13, 14 watching this. Um, so it's so interesting drag for me was what helped me realize I was non-binary because through drag I met the trans community and obviously there's trans people everywhere but I worked with trans people all the time doing drag and my friend Fauna Love uh, ended up he's a trans man out of drag he um, oh yeah you're nodding yeah uh, I love Fauna Love oh my god I got followed back one day and I was like oh my god sorry oh, <laughs> oh and he it's absolutely incredible and it was working with him. We were doing an R&D for Imagine It and Birds of Paradise looking at LGBT education for, like, high schools. 
uh, to do a drag show on it and sort of Stonewall and the, the gay agenda. I'm doing, in case people can't obviously gather, I'm doing sort of a hyphen, um, but gay agenda. And then we talked about the trans agenda and how very much now it seems that the arrow's been pointed, okay, the gays are fine and lesbians are fine. And the bi's, mm, we, we debate that for like, you know, patriarchy, but let's look at the trans people and non-binary people. They're the ones that are a problem. Because it's like, when I came out, one of the first things I wrote on uh, Facebook was, you know, Sam Smith identifies as genderqueer and their pronouns are they, them. And I don't see why anyone can't use they, them for me and their gender is just as valid as mine. And I had a lot of people support me, but I had a lot of people remove me off Facebook that I knew would because I thought they're the people that they're like, oh, that's attention seeking, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's not attention seeking. I remember I spoke to someone actually during this week. It was someone who said to me, you know, why does it matter? It was one of my friends, Lucy Hale, actually, yes, ble- yesterday, bless her, she said to me, this like thing with the non-binary and trans community and any sexuality, but yeah, because she, she's a lesbian, she went, I just get so pissed off in our community at why anyone actually, apart from us, cares. Like, why does it affect someone else's life if we tell them our pronouns are they, them? Why does that affect them? And I was like, because they're just not nice people. <laughs> like, that's just it. Like, they're ignorant and self-absorbed. But it's so amazing that you came to that journey and you realised, um, you know, with working with the trans community, I realised when they were talking about gender fluid people and sort of like, I identify as a gender, so I don't identify as male or female, I identify as my own person. Gender to me is just sort of, in my opinion for myself, a thing that I can do in drag or out of drag. I don't actually like to box myself as an Aquarius. I'm like, I don't box myself. Um, and very much feel that way about it. But it was so fascinating to learn about all this LGBT a few years ago. And Fauna, he had particularly helped me realise actually I did lie on the spectrum with that. I didn't feel like I was a cis man at all, which was great. And your your story is just so inspiring. You know, it's, it's so lovely. Um, you've mentioned a lot about Shaper Caper and what they do. It would be great to hear a bit more about that since you work with them so much. Well, Shaper Caper is really tied up to finding my non-binariness because dance, if anyone, I mean, I think most people know the kind of dance is very, very in the binary and in the cis, in the white, in the upper class echelon, particularly classical dance. And that was how I went to one ballet class and I got asked not to return because I couldn't stand still. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's, um, so it was, I was always much more into the kind of like the, the more urban styles because I was kind of going and making pals with folk in Glasgow. You know, we all thought we were pure step up, like in the city streets. We thought we were brilliant. Um, but it was, it was really, it really was just the kind of, the kids that didn't quite fit in the classical styles, one will all just go and dance together and like, fuck it, we'll see what happens. And, that made me really uncomfortable then when I started college. It was just like, especially when you do ballet class, because when you do dance at college, then you kind of do uh, like, what's it called? Like regular ballet. It's like kind of part of the discipline. Um, compulsory, that was that was the word of like fuss. So you had to do it and as like a foundation. And it was like, right, boys, this is your option for arms. Girls, this is your option. And I just always remember going, do we not? Do we have different arms? And it was literally some like the boys' arms would go up and out, the girls' arms would go out and up, and it's like, what, what is the dip, what is the point here? And you know, the boys get a uniform, the girls get a uniform, and you could not like the boys couldn't wear pink tights, the girls couldn't wear black tights. Just oh, that would be it would be like fucking the Armageddon if that happened. So I just always had it drilled into me that is like you want to wear the boys' stuff, that's not okay. 
you can't do that. And looking at yourself in front of the mirror eight hours a day is not really great for anyone's mental health, but especially not someone that's like, can I just like remove, like tear that off and stick it in a medical waste bin? That'd be great. And I just was like, I need to just put up with this. I can't. I, I would email people and say that we're looking for a male dancer and say, you know, hey, I know you're looking for a male dancer, but can I? And it was, if I got an email back, I normally didn't, but it was, no, you can't. And I was like, okay. So I was just like, I'm just going to have to be she, her, female forever, because that's just how it is. But then when I started at Shape or Taper, they asked me, um, so what pronouns do you use? And I was like, eh? What? Hmm? What are you asking me? And they were like, well, are you he, him? Are you she, her? And I was like, oh, well, she, her. What? <laughs> and I was just totally thrown by it. And then a couple of months into working there, um, Yolanda, who's the um, kind of executive director, had said, right, so, you know, we're going to start putting our pronouns in our email signatures, you know, so just pop the she, her, he, him at the end of it. So this was like 2018, 2019. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, I'll just pepper it in here. So I started doing she, her, or they, them. And I just left it like that. And then no one was really calling me they, them. They were only calling it she, her. And I was like, right, I'll just kind of remove she, her one day. This was a few months after. And then Yolanda kind of approached me, um, who's like my direct line manager, approached me and was like, um, can I just ask, is, do you want they, them pronouns instead of she, her? I just noticed that you removed she, her. And I was like, yeah, I think so. She was like, great, no problem. Right. And then, and then that was it. And there was no other conversation. There was no, it was just like the most normalist, as if I just says, right, I'm going to take next week after. That was like the normality of it. And I was like, oh my God, thank God for that. And really, that's what Shaper Caper does. It's, it's that way. It's not just a dance company. It's an M&S dance company. But it's like, it's not just like, oh, we're a dance company, we do some stuff. It really is trying to create that safe space for the kids that don't have enough money to go to a dance class for the, the young people that are LGBTQ plus and they're getting bullied at school and they don't have anything, any outlet to actually go and make art and make films and do something, you know, a place for, we also have a youth advisory council called The Body for uh, dancers who are like at the end of their training or maybe just graduated and it's like giving them uh, kind of different masterclasses on video editing and uh, creating a CV, um, doing masterclasses with professional dancers and getting them jobs like just kind of little bits of projects here and there so and then also we're a touring company as well and I think one of the best things about working there is every single piece of work that we do is completely different like we've got one piece of work that's really emotional about 9-11 and then we've got another piece of work that's for kids called Paper Moon and it's about you know a wee kid that goes to the moon with a dunk and you know it's like everything's just so versatile and we just I think that we just try and fill a space for people that's like yes that's that's what I need because the other dance companies that are maybe a bit more in the binary um aren't really doing it for me and we just try and offer a space for the misfits to be the the number ones for a change <laughs> it's like the skins of dance I love it like I think that's absolutely beautiful. That's so great. I, amazing work that they do. I didn't realise, I'll be honest, like ignorant of me, I didn't realise that it was that much focus on LGBT. I think that's absolutely incredible. And that inclusive thing really will help because I don't think it would have been maybe 2019 when I was freelance that places started, like mainstream organisations that worked for started kind of, uh, some of them, not all of them, we're including their pronouns at the bottom. Now, I think every email I get actually in organisations has it, which is great. So incredible. You must love working there. That's honestly great. 
Oh, totally. And, you know, it's difficult when we go, there's been a few, just when you were saying there about Sam Smith, eh, we were in a, a school because we also deliver um, a project, no, the new, obviously we don't, but normally we deliver a project in schools eh, about teaching the hazard of smoking, but through dance and through like drama and stuff um, with NHS Tayside, it's called Well Good. And we were in doing Well Good in a school up in Arbroath or somewhere. And um, there was a teacher, we were just in the staff room, you know, I was just sitting, you know, shooting the shit with my, my fellow co-worker, Sarah Green, big shout out, she's great. And uh, we were just like sitting chatting. Then I heard some, teacher or something coming in with his big chest like that, like fucking chest of drawers walking in, and he was like, oh, this nonsense with Sam Smith. I mean, you're either he or she. What's what's they got to do in? You can't even use they to refer to somebody as a... And I was like, someone left their cup of coffee in the middle of the table, you know what I mean? I was like, but it was so upsetting, so I was like, you're a teacher. Like, regardless of your own personal opinions, what do you do then if a kid comes to you and says, sir, I'm being bullied because somebody thinks that do you know what I mean is that what you're going to say to them and it was really I was like dude that's that's not cute I'm, I'm what if you have kids and they come to you like really I was just like sometimes I mean there's some amazing teachers out there but you really wonder about some people like I don't know if this is the job for you sweetheart sorry <laughs> I dated a biology teacher years ago and some of the stories he would come and tell me, obviously, when we were out and about or just, like, in my house or his, whatever, like, the amount of times he would tell me about colleagues that were great and inclusive because he was gay and the amount of people that, you know, they have to very much keep a front because, obviously, they can't let that interfere with students and stuff. But I'm not surprised. I do hope that with time, especially with pandemic, I've been working with a lot of schools via on Fife at the moment of my job, and it's been a brilliant the amount of staff that have been joining the groups as allies to show their allyship, which I think is so important, so important. Because when we were doing workshops, we didn't want to be like, okay, you're all LGBT because that's actually not, that's not fair either because a lot of the teachers are allies. Like, yes, we support LGBT and we're not having people be intolerant. So that's great to know that. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's so interesting. I don't know how you found this because I don't know much. I don't actually have a lot of, dancer friends but now I do so this is great what um, in terms of the dancing community has it been like dancing doing dancing like online content right now during the pandemic you know how has that affected your craft for me personally it's improved it because it's dance and theatre and arts and drag and all of that it's all about and I'm about sorry wank alert here but it's all about feeding off of the energy of the audience. And I know how that sounds. Anytime you mention energy and chakras, like something like my dad, oh, for God's sake, off. But it's it's true. It's like you go out and how's the audience feeling, right? They're a wee bit timid, so I'm going to need to warm them up. Or sometimes you go out and it's rowdy and you're like, yes, I can go for this. So when you're just looking at a screen, it's like, I don't know if they're liking it. I don't know if they're following. I don't know if they're enjoying it. On the first week of lockdown, we did this project called Children's Capers. And it was essentially like a kind of children's dance class, but like in, in a dance kind of performance style. So I would start doing a bit of performance and then invite the kids to join with me, whatever I was doing, and then go back into a bit of performance and so on. And for the first, like, six... We did it for, like, 100 episodes. It was, like, roughly three months or something. And for the first six weeks yeah, I was just like, I don't know, like, I can't get into the groove of this, like, because there's no... I also didn't have any music playing at my end, like Tommy was doing it from his end. So I was like, I'm just dancing about in my living room like a fund. No clue if anybody's even following me. What's good? I don't even know if my Wi-Fi's still working because I had to face the camera the other way. So I was like, this is so weird. But in a way, it was just that 
it was just like another strength of the bow. Like, okay, now I can I can perform live. Now I can perform in front of a camera. That's great. It's so I really tried to be like, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's shite. We're all in the same storm, different canoes and all that stuff. But let's look, try and look at the positive. Once I'm out of this, there's a whole digital realm that I like. I couldn't even turn a computer on like a year ago, and now I'm doing green screen editing. I'm fucking record podcasts. I'm like, oh yes, my Mac needs an iOS five update. <laughs> like, so I'm really feeling like I'm right. I, I can if I then had to leave Shape of Paper for whatever reason, you know touch all the words that I don't but at least I've got a lot more uh, abilities that I had the downside is when I'm sitting editing myself when you've got some issues around body you know dysphoria and all that it can be difficult because it's like okay I'm wearing a tight costume there and I'm seeing all the roles I don't want to see and oh Alex you need to lose a bit of weight you know and I just try and shut that off because that's not doing anyone any good and it sounds a wee bit kind of weird, but I, I recently heard this thing about you tr- if you're about to say something mean to yourself about your body or about yourself, imagine you're saying it to like five-year-old you. And that's really helped me. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to say that. You know, they're just a wee thing, you know. So it's it, so that's really helped me just be like, listen, like, you know, fucking give yourself a break. So it's been really good in the sense I've got lots of new techniques. It's been challenging because of that. But again, it's all just ups and downs and moving forward where you can. It's so interesting hearing you talk about that. Um, well done you for managing to fight that voice um, in your head and, and do it really well. Well done you, that's incredible. You're such a warrior. And in terms of that, like it's so funny because I um, I obviously was at my hospital appointment I mentioned to you earlier yesterday and I said to him, I'm so exhausted being a screen all day. And they were like, really? I went, yeah, and it's getting to the point that like I had to have my lunch on it. And they were like, really? I went, yeah, and I didn't like it because I started watching myself eat and it really got me like on edge with, I used to have an ED years ago and was like, right, I don't want to see myself eat. And they were like, well, just turn your camera off. I went, they want to see you so that you're doing the rehearsals. Like, no, that's not how this works. So I was just like, right, okay, be aware of this and how are you going to go next? What I do with myself, because I'm very bad for spiraling. But it's so interesting hearing you talk about sort of having um, that that voice with the editing because I am the exact same that I edit and then like live performance I've spoken to so many drag artists musicians like singers dance now a dancer that the interesting part with this with editing video content is live performance we go on stage we do it and the rest just happens we just have to hope the best and if we fuck up we can't go back and fix that so we just have to accept it we have to go right they fucked up move on We'll do it better next time. But with digital content, you end up, I don't feel like me, but I fucking like file it and go, this bit here, oh no, I've, I've arsed the thing up and now I've got to, honestly. So I totally empathize and understand what you mean, but it's still so great because I, I can't, I can use a green screen now, right? Tick that fucking chroma key or untick it, whatever it is you do, right? But Jesus, in May last year, I was like, Oh, I talked to Dean Gummer about this in season one. I was like, I didn't want to do like digital performance. I was like, no, like, and people were like, oh yeah, you did that BBC documentary. So you obviously know what you're doing. I was like, I never edited that whole thing. I never filmed it. I sat there and went, hi, and walked out. Like, it's not the same thing. But luckily now, we're, you're right that we've got such a, an ability now that we wouldn't have had a set of skills. And it's really funny, right, you say this, because I was talking to a friend today I went for a walk with saying what I'm really fascinated by right now is the idea that in maybe a year's time, when I think things will start going back to normal, actual proper everyday what it was before, 
I'm intrigued to see what universities are going to do in terms of teaching the arts in the digital age because so many artists like myself, like you, like Jeannie Godley, all these other artists have done digital content and that all needs to be recognised. They can't exactly, when they're teaching people, go, we'll just pretend that two years didn't happen. Like, no, we'll have to actually teach. So this is what happened and let's get artists in who did it to talk about it. And I think that's a really fascinating conversation and idea. Um, it's so lovely to hear you talk about the skills you've uh, managed to find. And you're saying that, you know, it's, at points it was getting hard editing. You know, how have you found coping the last sort of 11 months? Have, have you been doing things differently? Have you got another set of skills for stuff like that? I'd love for you to share if you don't mind. Yeah, well, it's, it's always... I'm one of those people that go, it's so important to talk about how you feel, but I never fucking talk about how I feel ever. But I'm always telling other folk, you need to open up more, but then I don't do it. So, but I think that's just, you know, unfortunately the the the, the plight of humankind, but it's been a fucker. It really has. And, but for me, it was a fucker before lockdown. Like it hasn't actually weirdly in a strange way, lockdown has actually kind of taken pressure off me and I say that from a massive place of privilege because I live with a partner who's hugely supportive of me I'm a pronouns I'm a career and everything and we're very stable and I've got a stable career I've got the money coming in don't need to worry about that in a weird way it kind of took pressure off me because I'm like I don't have to go and socialize with people at the weekend I don't have to you know wait in queues at bars and be forced to go to with I don't really want to go away, but I need to go because it's so-and-so's birthday and they came to my birthday and all that. So that's really taking the pressure off of, like, you're actually allowed to relax at the weekend. Like, you're actually allowed to sit at night and not have to go and do anything but just be in your jammies and your slippers and, and enjoy it. That's helped. But I think for a lot of people with mental health, I don't want to say problems because for me it's not a problem, it's just a situation, a mental health situation. Uh, a lockdown might not trigger things, but going to the shops might, or just getting in the car might. It's just some. sometimes there's no... So there's been some difficult periods over lockdown, but I don't think it's anything to do with lockdown. I think it's just <laughs> mind and life, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, antidepressants are a wonderful thing. And just really trying to... And that's even really difficult for me to say that, but I know it's important to try and say it because it's just, you know, my mom's always been, you know, as a nurse, she's like, if you've got a cold, you take a paracetamol, you've got, you know, a sore leg, you take uh, whatever it is you take for a sore leg, deep heat. Uh, so if you've got, you know, a head, then you take an antidepressant, it's not a big deal and I know that, but it's just still so difficult to talk about it and admit it and I feel like people totally look at you differently. So I think it's not so much the... Um, the lockdown that's affected my head or my health in that way but it's almost been more difficult to kind of hide it and I'm, that's not a bad thing because you shouldn't be hiding these things anyway but yeah so just if anybody's listening they're like oh I'm feeling like total boss act it's fine it's all right because you're not the only one and um but yeah I'd, I would try and encourage people if they really are struggling for me meditation didn't do anything I tried it I've been trying it for years it's never worked um, I like going walks. I like the fresh air, even in the rain. Something quite nice for that really helped. Um, and medication. And and I also have started doing um, some more yoga as well. I've always done yoga because of uh, 
because of like dance and stuff we did a lot of it I don't really like the meditation side of it that looking inwards doesn't work for me it can send me into a bit of a a weird place but um yeah I do like that what they call power yoga and it's all like the fit moz and the 30s with activewear that do it on YouTube and there's a lassie that does it um who's really great and I follow her on YouTube and it's literally just like right now lunge downward dog push up and it's just it's a workout with the benefits of yoga along with it so that's kind of what I've been doing is just trying to keep active but then also no giving myself a hard time if I don't feel like being active I think that's a big thing give yourself a break you know that is such a huge thing right now that a lot of people aren't active therefore they're criticizing themselves because we're almost critic it's so great and um, I'm so proud to hear someone else talk about antidepressants in such a good positive strong context of this is what helps me and that's it because for me I when I went on antidepressants in August was like oh I've, I've been defeated I've lost the battle I remember being like well I've lost because for years I was like I am still to this day you know I've always for my own belief that I had a lot of behavioral issues because of trauma and I very much went down that I need to go to therapy and talk this out because I didn't want to take a medication and then not go and talk about it. I want, that was my choice. I wanted to go get all this out. And then if I still couldn't cope, then I could take something. And my thing was during the day, I didn't like anxiety, but I could never at night sleep. I could, I'd lie there and I'd go, oh, I did all this wrong today. And that sent me spiraling to, and my whole life's been bad because I've been told I was shit my whole life. And it would just, honestly, and I'd be sitting there and four hours would go by that I'd been thinking about this. And I'd go, oh, I need to get up in two hours, I'll just get up now. And I wouldn't sleep. And I honestly, no one understood how much I was insomniac. Um, and eventually, I'd had a bit of a meltdown in August where I was potentially getting back with someone that was really not good for me. But, you know, the pandemic life kind of made me all over the place. And um, I just thought to myself, when we eventually said, right, no, we're cutting it ties, that's it, it's, it's time to move on. I was like, do you know what? Like, I'm so unstable because I'm never sleeping. I'm just going to go to the GP and phone them. Phone them's like, look... I just think I need something for sleep. They gave me sedatives, but it just made me go do lally. And she was like, right, I can put in my task, blah, blah, blah. And I remember for that week, I was like, oh God, I've been defeated. Everyone's going to judge me. I had, unfortunately, and it's no judgment to her, but my mother was very anti-antidepressants. She was like, they've got things in them that make you worse, right? And I was just like, right, okay, whatever, like for my whole life. So when I knew therapy was helping me, but I needed something on top of that, an extra tool in the box, that antidepressants totally changed my whole life. Totally. Couldn't believe I hadn't actually went on these sooner, I'll be honest. And mm-hmm. it's funny because um, I just remember that that week that I was like, I've oh, been defeated, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. It was literally last month I put in a job for an application to write a piece about the transformative way that medication saved my life. So isn't that funny when six months that's changed? Mm-hmm. And when I felt really defeated, I made that bold choice that I went, Do you know what? I'll put my antidepressant on Instagram because everyone think, everyone's thinking right now that I'm doing so well during the pandemic and everything's fine because that's all my Instagram was. So I put it and was like, right, oh, put this full, right. And then so many people messaged me saying they were on them too. And thank you for being bold and talking about it because it made them feel less bad. They were on them and I thought, oh my God, here's me thinking that this was terrible, but everyone's like, thank you, you've helped me. And I thought, I just wanted to put that as antidepressants. But I love that that happens and I'm so glad because you're one of the first people to come on to say medication. A lot of people haven't said it. I think one other person's actually said it um, and that might have been me. (laughs) 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 The episode of uh, season one. So we're coming back full circle. It's Mm -hmm. so 
such a pleasure hearing you talk about these things. You know, if, um, if there were younger non-binary, um, particularly in my opinion, students right now, I did an interview with the HuffPost ages ago and they were asking, you know, how did I feel that LGBT identity would be affected during the pandemic? And I was like, students will suffer because a lot of them go to uni and then they fully realise who they are. Um, and you can't really do that on a screen like the way I would have. So I hope that they somehow meet people like, you know, I actually feel like dating apps, I can't really want to say this as someone that actually gets really weird about dating apps, but I do feel like Tinder and I guess even Grindr uh, in a way will have helped people that maybe would like to just go for a walk and meet another like queer person. I don't think a lot of people on Grindr are doing that, I'll be honest, but <laughs> but Tinder, like the amount of people that they do see on their profile, I saw a few of mine and I went, oh, well, I'm looking for a relationship right now, but it was like, just looking for friends, want to meet queer people in Edinburgh. And I went, oh, that's lovely, actually. I hope that's helping because right now things are just so hard with the pandemic. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. If there are non-binary people kind of struggling with their identity during a pandemic, what your words of wisdom would be? That it is, a, the struggle is real, but the hustle is deep, as Alyssa Edwards would say. It is, it's always going to be a struggle, unfortunately, because... I think when you're non-binary, you have to just constantly come out. Your whole life is going to be coming out, and that is not great. But that's just, you know, uh, an occupational hazard, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. And it can be daunting when you think, Jesus, I've got another, you know, however many, 78 years of this, depending on your age. But that it's, it's just the weird the strange, the freaky, all those things that you think that we are, they are great. They are the best things. And the things that you hate about yourself will in time become the things that you love. And that sounds really cliche because I'm not there yet, but I can feel my relationship to my body changing, my relationship to my head changing, my relationship to being open about my body, my head changing. I would have never have sat a year and a half ago, even six months ago, and sort of talked about stuff like this. But, you know, the, the reality is just, again, when you're talking about medication, like that's what medication's there for. It, it really is. And again, I'm with, I have a mother who is 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 totally, you know, she's not saying she's poor antidepressants in everybody's throats, but she described it once as it's, it's, like a, it's like a raft, you know. If you're trying to get across a river, um, the river might be struggling with your identity, it might be struggling with your sexuality, struggling with home life or just end, or nothing. It's just you're just struggling. Some people need a raft to get across the river. Once they're across, they don't need the raft anymore. Cheery by, they chuck it. But a lot of people might hold on to the raft because they think there's another river coming. And for me, that's what like medication's like, is that I still need that raft now. But who knows where I might be in a year or so. If you need to be on that raft for the rest of your life, that's fine. Because I think that anyone, anything that helps you just now that's not de detrimental to your health, do it. If that's, you know, sitting drawn for six hours, if it's having a big fat piece of cake and a whole tub of ice cream, again, as long as you're no diabetic, do it. Because that it, it's like just being the slightest bit nice to yourself. Even if you're shite to yourself all day, you tell yourself you're ugly, you're fat, you're horrible, you're this, that, the next thing. But then you put on your favourite pair of socks. That's one nice thing that you've done for yourself. And keep doing that every day. The next day, try and do two nice things for yourself. The next day, try and do three. Just it's in, and allow yourself to fail. And it sounds really like, you know, I'm sitting here as a very mature 25-year-old thinking I know everything. But it's like you've got to learn to fail. And 
it's no flying, it's falling with style. And that's the best part of work community is that we we know resilience, we know how to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and put glitter on it. So embrace it and don't be ashamed of it. Because if other people are ashamed of it, that's them. That's not you. That's not their problem. That's so beautiful and poignant. Well done, you. Honestly, I could sit and listen to you for hours. I know you said the same thing to me when I did yours, that you were like, oh, I could sit and listen to hours, but I genuinely mean that I could sit and listen to you, like, um, be so inspiring. It's so great. What are your sort of um, goals or ambitions with performance and ideas when... I hate saying when things return back to normal because I just don't feel at this point in my life this week, actually, that normality is going to exist after this. I don't think, one, I don't think we should forget this happened. I think, mm. oh, and people listening, you all know this, why I do this podcast. We all need to remember this and these life experiences and use them as education for the future. Do you know what I mean? I think the ENFJ in me is just thriving right now, like education. Um, and when I mean education, I don't mean the system. I mean life lessons. But it's so important, and I'm so glad that you've done that. I'm so glad that you've just, you've, you've brought this conversation. It's so great. And in terms of what you want to return to, you know, normality-wise, when eventually the stage is open, if we go back to it, what would you like to sort of do? <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I cannot wait until the first time I perform in front of a live audience again, because there's just, again, something about the setting the potential that anything could go wrong at any minute. It's like, it's its the best feeling in the world, weirdly. Uh, and it's just fantastic. I, I mean, personally, I would really, I'm also a pole dancer and kind of aerial dancer as well. And I did my first ever showcase uh, digitally at Christmas, which was um, the Carnival of Carnage. And uh, I did, uh, um, anyone who knows South Park, I did Satan Does Christmas Time in Hell. And I did that with like big eight inch red boots on, dressed up like the devil, um, which, was, which was quite fun. So I'd really love to do more kind of pole and aerial work because at the moment I'm kind of just contemporary dance. But I'd really love to do more of that uh, just in showcases. I'd, I would love to do pole competitions, but unfortunately it is like male, female category. And I'm like, I'd, for me, it's not worth putting myself through the the kind of weirdness about where I would go or, you know, just, I'm not, I'm not about that. I just want to like dance about like an Egypt and, you know, show off my, my concepts. And um, that's not a euphemism, by the way. I mean, like artistic concepts. <laughs> and uh, I, I, that's what showcases are really great for is just, you know, you make up a concept, make up a dance, fling on a costume and go. So I'd love to do more of that. And I'd also really like to get back into, um, I'm still, I'm full-time, a full-time contemporary dancer with Schaefer Caper, but I'd love to get back into part-time, like, cabaret performance, drag performance, um, again, just on my own, like, not not for payment, not for money, but just for that, you know, there's just something about when you put a look together, like, we did this a lot at Bohemia, we had, like, our makeup and stuff was done for us and the, and the hair, but we would kind of, you know, bring our own elements to, to the costumes, we would, you know, pick a song out of thin air, create the movement, create the concept and get out there and do it. And there's something just about that kind of, you know, rawness that I'd really like to, to do when when uh, those kind of bars and spaces open up again. Aye. Oh, amazing. I'm sure I can get you back into drag. Don't you worry. I can um, And you might look better than me. <laughs> I'm not... Who knows? You might look even better than me in drag, so that's so great. No chance, darling. No chance. Unless you get something to lift these bags out my eyes and pluck my eyebrows. No chance. <laughs> You lift- not even Pritt stick. He's <laughs> eight. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. And I'm so glad. And I don't know if you know this, but 
for the villains House of Liability digital drag show, I did um, up there for the South Park musical as Satan. I'll need to send you a song, a cover of oh, it. Oh, please do. <laughs> Most tacky, cheesy thing, but I love doing it so much. It was so much fun. Um, it's brilliant. Oh, this has honestly been such a great interview. I've got two questions left for you, right? The one that everyone gets for season two that's different to season one and three because three's starting in the four weeks' time, which is exciting. We always ask people that come on, what did 2020 teach them and what are they grateful for in 2021? I would love to hear your answers. Mm. J.K. Rowling's a cunt. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but, um, no, well, akin to that, 2020 taught me that bitches go and talk shit and there's nothing you can do about it. Everyone is new. People want to run their mouth and you can only reason with the reasonable. If someone wants to just be the racist auntie or the racist uncle or the racist anybody at, at the dinner table, sometimes you've got to just let them. And just rem- and it just reminds me that the people that have those views, they are depriving themselves of so much joy and glitter and fun and amazing patter. It's like, they're never going to hear this podcast. And I feel sorry for them. That's a shame. And just let them do it. You know, it's like it's, it's, it's like training a dog. I've got four dogs, right? Dog daft. And it's like training a dog is that if, if, you'll, if you just ignore them, they'll eventually stop barking or they'll stop, you know, trying to get your sandwich or whatever. And that's kind of what it's like. And that's what 2020 taught me. And 2021 is teaching me to try and embrace that. That's what I'm so I've got to the point now I can ignore people when they say mean stuff about me or my identity. I'm now working towards taking that and turning it into gold and not letting it do the opposite. So at the moment I'm at acceptance. Hopefully by 2022 I'll be at embracing it. That's what I'm hoping. And are you grateful that you're at that stage of acceptance now? I'm so grateful for it right now. Because next week I might not be, but I know that it's 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 not a straight line trajectory. There's going to be an ups and downs and all arounds, and it's part of it. Unfortunately, again, my mom's got hundreds of wee gems of wisdom, and she was saying that she says that about a lot of things when you're kind of needing to be somewhere on a journey, like you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. You can it's like going from Glasgow to London. You can take motorways all the way down there. You'll be there dead fast. Or you might have to come off at an extra junction and go around a bunch of country roads. You'll still get to London, but it might take you longer, you know, as long as you're heading that way. And I think that's a really nice way of saying it. So at the moment, I'm sitting steady on the motorway. I'm not in the fast lane. I'm just in the regular old hard shoulder. Might need to stop off at the little chef for a cup of tea and a soggy bacon roll. But um, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the way. And yeah, hugely grateful that I'm able to do that. And it's artists like yourself it's podcasts like this it's other creative endeavors that remind me like now nah, we're, we're pretty special and um don't let no one turn off your candle or whatever it is that the scene is <laughs> your mum must be so proud of you because you really are special it's been such an a thrill to have you and interview you for this last day of the weekend before i interview my next guest every episode we end with an inspiring quote from our guests i would love for you to share your quote jk rollins i can't no i'm kidding on uh, i actually have one from one of my favorite films in the world men in black right it has got 
old comic book violence, aliens, and 90s Will Smith. So I'm totally sold, right? And it's uh, there's two quotes in it, but there's one that I love, and it's Frank the wee pug in New York, and they're trying to find the, the gem hang on the cat's collar, and he says, when are humans going to learn just because something's important doesn't mean it's not very, very small. And I love that. Because it's like, so anybody who's not seen Men in Black, the whole universe, right, might be spoiling it, so it's, the whole universe is on this wee cat's collar and like a wee ball, just like a wee pendant. And that's where the whole universe is. Don't know how that works in terms of physics. Don't ask me. I'm no scientist. But that quote of like, something so important can be tiny. And that's like what I was saying about, you know, just putting on your favourite pair of socks. That might be all you day of the day. That's amazing. And that's that's great. And there's another one. Sorry, we squeeze another one in for Men in Black, but it's a brilliant film. And it's Kay says I had to Google it because it's quite long. It says 1500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the centre of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. 15 minutes ago, you knew humans were alone in this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And I think that's beautiful. With people saying there's two genders, there's this and there's that. We don't know nothing, man. We've no clue what's going on out there. Just enjoy it. Have a wine. Chill out. <laughs> we are both small people in the universe, but we are definitely special. And we are definitely... And we are definitely going to tell the tales of tomorrow and so on. Thank you so much. Five to- foot two. <laughs> Five foot two squad and no growing. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. You're a gem. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks to everybody listening. Alex, thank you for doing this interview because you helped me heal from parts of my life that I haven't talked about for years. The The conversation about my sort of leaving dance as a child was something I did not expect to come from this. You know, that period of my life was quite difficult because I had quite a difficult upbringing. My parents at times didn't get on and that's all I really want to comment on it for now. And it wasn't exactly the easiest time. And then when my dad died, it was even worse. And I remember for years, I couldn't watch Billy Elliot without getting really emotional. And your interview really helped heal me. So thank you in a selfish way. Thank you for myself. Thank you for also mentioning a lot of things in the queer community about being non-binary that I didn't consider. I'm very aware of you know, menstruation um, should be inclusive of all genders. It's not a gender specific thing but it was really good for you to share this story and your words of wisdom to younger people during the pandemic who obviously might realize they're non-binary and they're trans you know they may realize their sexuality isn't what um, their parents would have expected and I think for me it's good that you've spoken so eloquently and beautifully and the work you're doing with Shaper Caper is absolutely incredible I think one of the first in my opinion um, the things that really stands out is the fact that they're LGBT inclusive and what you talked about with gender specifics in the dance world. I didn't realise this was a thing, but I'm glad you've told me because, you know, when we tell younger people, well, it gets better and things are so different now compared to 10 years ago, you're so right, but there is still always room for improvement. And thank you. I'm sure that you and I will no doubt cross paths again and hopefully work together in the future. And you do take care of yourself because you're absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for joining me on Afternoon Delight this Sunday. I also was very wine hungover today because me and my friend Lucy from school decided to reminisce about coming out at 18 um, last night. And it was lovely, but we drank for five and a half bloody hours and that's a 
bottle of wine. Thanks, Emily, if you're listening. You gave me that wine for free, and uh, thank you. I was happy to take it off your hands quite clearly. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Um, I'm away next week. We've got two guests, and then we're taking a pause for two weeks so I can recharge and develop something with the National Fair of Scotland, which is absolutely bloody exciting. So I'm not really taking time off, but I'm taking it off to get that done because that is going to be getting rehearsed every day, all day till it's filmed. But next week we've got, after interviewing Alex, it felt only right that I get them on. We've got Blaze from Bohemia, who all-round absolute incredible drag queen um, she's going to be talking about her drag journey, moving to Melbourne, coming back to Edinburgh, the difference in the drag community, being an MUA out of drag. She's a fucking incredible makeup artist. And she taught me actually how to do makeup with one-to-one lessons. And I've always considered Blaze such um, a sister in the community for me because we'd never see each other. But when we do, it's like nothing's changed. Like me and my friend Lucy from school. And then after that, we've got Emily Ingram, um, playwright, director of the show must go online who i've worked with and then we'll be taking a break for season three but until then stay safe and remember to breathe afternoon delight real people real stories a local podcast for local artists